Welcome in, everyone, to the Batflip Podcast. Today, I am David. This is Matt. Damien is in Bristol, Tennessee, going to watch a NASCAR race. Uh, we hope he'll have a, a fun time, but for now, it'll just be me and Matt. Matt, how are you doing this week? Doing pretty good. I've uh, just been uh, hanging out, uh, watching a lot of football this weekend, and uh, some baseball and a little bit of everything so uh definitely um definitely been a good weekend and uh i hope damien's having a good time at bristol i've been to that uh nascar race several times and i'd probably still go to it occasionally if they didn't move it to the middle of football season on a saturday which is fantastic uh good planning by nascar but um but yeah it's a um good um it's been a good week and uh i'm ready to Talk a little bit of baseball. We're getting down the stretch here, and uh, a lot of interesting stuff this week. Uh, so, how uh, how's your week been, Damien? Uh, David? And <laughs> yeah, not Damien this time. Um, yeah, I'm used to kicking it to Damien, but <laughs> right. Nope, just me. I, you know, it's it's been a a good solid week here. We got my girlfriend's birthday coming up, so I'm excited for this weekend. Should be a fun time. But um, other than that, you know, we're watching football on Saturday and racing on Sunday and baseball around around all of that. My team, we'll, we'll cover it. My team called up their top prospects, so that's been fun to, to watch and follow and a little bit stressful because our manager doesn't like to use him. So he's, he's debuting and starting his first game tonight. We'll uh, give you some live updates as, as they come in if, if that game starts. But, uh, you know, this is uh, it's been a good week. So uh, let's let's break into the baseball side of things here with the biggest news coming out today. Uh, that the Mets have done what we said they were going to do a few months ago. They have finally announced a five-year contract for David Stearns. I believe he's the president of baseball operations, and they're going to keep Billy Epler as the GM. Uh, but, yeah, that's that was announced today. Yeah, uh, this is an interesting hire for the Mets. Uh, David Stearns uh, had been in, in Milwaukee with the Brewers, and, uh, you know, he did, a, he did a pretty good job. I believe he was originally with the Astros. Um, and um, he it was part of their turnaround, and uh, the Brewers brought him in. He he was the guy who executed the trade for Christian Yelich, the Lorenzo Cain signing, um, you know, and a bunch of good deadline trades like like Mike Mustakas being one that, that paid off for them pretty well. Uh, the Brewers had some really good seasons with him there. Uh, they went to the NLCS to seven games in 2018. Um, and uh, some they've they've done some good stuff. Um, you know, I think that uh, it's kind of hard to tell sometimes with the GM how much they how how well that they um, you know how much influence they had on on everything. You know, sometimes things could easily turn out the other way around or something. But um, he did a really really good job uh, with Milwaukee, and uh, you know you would think he'd probably be pretty successful in in New York. He's from Manhattan, so. Um, you know, I think he wanted the Mets job and, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I'm kind of surprised they retained Billy Epler. Um, I really don't know what they see in him. I mean, he was pretty awful with the angels and his job he's done as GM so far with the Mets is pretty awful. But of course, having someone overseeing him, he probably has less, um, he probably has less oversight over everything and less decision-making. So, you know, maybe they still like some of the other things he does, but, um, I definitely think this is a good hire for the Mets. Um, probably the most qualified guy that they could have gotten to run baseball operations. And um, it'll be uh, interesting to see how it works out. It's the thing we've been waiting for, right? I mean, Bill, uh, 
David Stearns had stepped down from the Brewers before the start of the season, and kind of all the way this felt was he had been approached by Steve Cohen to be the GM of the Mets. He is on kind of a lame duck contract where the Brewers were not going to resign, like resign him after the season. So he was going to be in this kind of GM free agent limbo, but he already kind of had a job lined up to avoid tampering, to avoid, you know, being the lame duck where he was on his way out anyway. So why would he help the Brewers if he was going to join the Mets at the end of the season? He he resigned from the Brewers, allowed them to just continue their off season and he's going to step in with the Mets. It, It had to be a year later because of the way the contract worked, but I think that this is a, a no-brainer move. It was the no-brainer move going in. It's worth noting that David Stearns' ma- manager that he hired at Milwaukee is Craig Council, who is also a free agent at the end of the season. He's, his contract is up. And, it, you know, Buck Showalter is currently in place with the Mets. The Mets, obviously, we've discussed it at length. Last place in the NL East, if not fourth place. They've been very, very underwhelming. Buck Walter's job is not secure in the slightest, and I, I think it's very possible that Craig Council follows uh, David Stearns over to New York from Milwaukee. You know, it, it's it seems like this move was kind of a known move for a while, and so there's not much else to say about it. You know, he's going to walk in without Justin Verlander, without Max Scherzer, a couple of pieces that he thought he might have going in, um, you know, Pete Alonso's on a one-year contract, and other than that, right, they've got a lot of money wrapped up in guys like Brandon Nimmo, Jeff McNeil, um, you know, Francisco Lindor, and uh, Kodai Senga. So there's a maybe a limit on to what David Stearns can accomplish in one offseason. And, you know, Max Scherzer at least was told that this team was taking a step back to try to leap forward by 2025, and that would have been when Scherzer was going to leave, so he waived his no-trade clause. I do wonder if Stearns has a different plan and if the, you know, the retaining of Billy Epler maybe tries to keep that attitude intact, but we'll see, you know, th- this is an organization that could make a lot of sell trades in this, in this deadline to try to clear up some money to maybe make a run at Otani or do some other things. It, it'll be real interesting because obviously Steve Cohen is going to be the most active owner. He's going to spend the most money. The question is now, does what is David Stearns going to do with that money? You know, he was operating at a very limited budget in Milwaukee, where I think the biggest contract he signed was the Christian Yelich extension. So now he's got Steve Cohen money. What does David Stearns do with that money is the big question. And I, I don't know. He's generally regarded as one of the better executives in the game. So uh, this could be bad for everybody, but it could be a kind of non factor move because the Mets might already have a plan based on what they kind of indicated to Max Scherzer. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I agree. Uh, I don't I don't know about Craig Council. I, I'd be surprised if he left uh, Milwaukee, but who knows? I know Steve Cohen still really likes Buck Showalter, although Buck is up there in age and everything. He might he might decide I'm not dealing with a rebuild here, which mm-hmm. does sound like a, a likely a likely thing that you see rebuild there for you know a short rebuild because they can spend so much money. But it really does seem like they're gonna try to you know they're gonna try to blow it not necessarily blow it up blow it up but like there was a lot of rumors about them trading Alonzo and and just kind of trying to reset things a little bit which they kind of need to do I mean it's hard to win at with all free agent signings like we all we all want our teams to spend money of course but mm-hmm. you're signing guys who are on the wrong side of 30 and you're gonna have a certain hit and miss rate even even on the top ones and it's hard to build a deep 
team full of those those guys. So the best way to do it is to build a very good farm system, bring them all up, and then use that money to extend guys and, and sign them long term. And then you, maybe you get a you find a guy that you really believe in and, and supplement it with the free agent market. Just building a team from the free agent market like the Mets have tried to do the last couple of years is it's just not a great idea. And uh, it um you know and, and you and I, I think that that's probably what they're going to go into. I think that's why they're going to David Stearns now because he's done this before. He he did it in Milwaukee where they built through some good trades and through their farm system. And now he's going to have extra money to supplement that and, and to keep guys around. Because part of their problem, he's – I'm sure he was frustrated in Milwaukee when they were making him trade Josh Hader away because they didn't want to pay him, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll see what, we'll see what happens, but it's definitely an interesting hire, it's a, and it should be a big story. Yeah, let's take that and, and go somewhere a little more fun, but in the same vein as kind of a – uh, speculative bit of news that came out was that you know the angels are in going in the wrong direction suffice it to say you know that this is a team that's going to lose Shohei Otani at the end of the season uh, that has waived all their players and what you know was kind of a white flag waving scenario in the middle of uh, the playoff race in August uh, this is a team that tried to buy at the deadline sold off two of their top five prospects proceeded to immediately lose the next 10 games I I do wonder, and and this is the article that came out is uh, you know before even that came out was what's the availability of some of these guys? What about Mike Trout? Right? If if Otani's gone, and they have a ton of money on Trout, how could they even move him? Right? He's going to have a no trade clause. Well, an article I think written by Bob Nightingale, which you know obviously grain of salt, uh, came out that said the Angels would be open to moving Mike Trout. And if that's the case, who could he even go to that would have some some capital but also be able to provide some prospect return because, you know, the Angels are going to have to eat that contract to, you know, get something back for Mike Trout so it doesn't look like you traded Mike Trout for nothing. You know, who do we think could maybe even trade for Mike Trout if the Angels did make him available like Bob Nightingale said? I'm just... I have no idea what a trade could possibly look like for Mike Trout because on one hand, he's still a really good player. Uh, He he was really good in his time this year. There are some signs that, that, you know, some, some yellow flags about his, how he's going to age as a player. He's his strikeout rate is really ballooned over the last couple of years, which is, you know, a little bit worrisome for a guy who's on the wrong side of 30, even though he's still been awesome, even with the higher strikeout rate, uh, you know he's hitting the ball in the air a lot more too, which is hit, he's hitting home runs. But as he as he continues to age a little bit, you know how quickly will that power go away? Um, and, and the fact is that he's all been hurt so much over the last few years. Like you're talking about a guy who, when he's played, has been still a top two, top three player in the game, but he's getting hurt a lot. I mean, he had the calf mm-hmm. strain from hell a couple years ago. Uh, or maybe that was last year, and then this year he's had the hamate bone, and I think he also had some kind of little nagging thing early in the season this year. And there's also always been those those back things that have popped up with him, t- talking about him having chronic back problems. Yep. So he's definitely a guy who there's a lot of risk involved with Mike Trout at this point, even if he's even if you're not paying him a lot, and then that contract is gigantic. I mean, he's owed a ton of money, so. It's going to be difficult for the Angels to trade him and get a lot, get what they would expect in return for a superstar like Mike Trout, because 
I think that I think that they could pay it down and get something for him, or they could tr- just and or they could probably just trade the contract, you know, and, and not get a lot for him. Like, mm-hmm. One of the two. They're not going to be able to. They're not going to be able to save a lot of money and get prospects back in this deal, though. It's, it's not like a, you know, in some ways it, it might be a little bit like, it's it's not like an, a Nolan Arenado type thing where, I mean, the, the Rockies screwed up the package they got back, but they did get back like four or five prospects. Like, I think that this is a case where you, you either pay it, pay most of the salary and get one prospect or you, which I mean, handing a, handing uh, you know a hundred million dollars to another team is difficult. <laughs> so to, to take to take Mike Trout, but if I if I had to guess on a team that could potentially look for him, uh, I, I think the Phillies are a team that would probably try to get him. They're very aggressive, um, and they've you know run pretty high payrolls. And I think that um, you know I, I don't know their farm system is pretty bad. But they do have. You know, uh, maybe I, I don't, I don't, I don't even know who they can trade, honestly, because Andrew Painter's out with Tommy John surgery, where he would have been that top prospect guy, and I mean, Mick Abel's really struggled at times. So beyond them, there's just not that much there in that farm system. So I don't know if they, I don't know what they would be able to do there, but um, that might be one they could maybe trade a Mick Abel, who is kind of a good prospect, but has some there's some there's some red flags with them throwing you know throwing strikes and stuff they could maybe trade him uh and and angels could eat a decent amount of contract and, and that could end up being something that would work out um and the phillies do need center field help because i think tonight they're starting like ramon rojas or something in center field like they really need center field help um of course trout probably moves to the corner at some point with this with his next team is probably the best place for him but uh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, it's hard to say. I mean, I'm sure everybody would be interested in adding a guy like Mike Trout. It's just working out those details is, is the big thing. So, um, and, and I just don't know. And I don't know if what Mike Trout's priorities are. Does he want to stay with the Angels just because he likes it there and he's been there his whole career? I mean, that's possible too. I mean, we've seen that with guys like Joey Votto who knew the Reds were going to be bad, but he signed that long-term extension because he likes being in Cincinnati. So, um, you know, we've seen that kind of thing too. So we'll, we'll see what happens here. It's going to be interesting though. Yeah. You know, you bring up Philly. Mike Trout is from New yeah, Jersey. That's, and, that's the main reason I brought up Philly. Right. And, and also he's a huge Eagles fan. Well, well-known, highly touted. Everyone kind of figured if Trout ever got to free agency, he would sign in Philly. Um, obviously he signed the big $400 million extension to stay in Los Angeles biggest contract you know in baseball history to that point and still i think to this point it yeah. may be to be surpassed by otani we'll see the big question for for this tr- potential trade is does mike Trout wave the no trade clause if he does is he waving it for anywhere but philadelphia we know he likes philadelphia does he wave it for anywhere else is there anywhere else that could even he could even wave it for i don't know that's a big question that we'll find out the answer to in the off season. that's maybe the the entire crux of the argument here but you know presuming it's Mike Trout to Philly I think they have to send back either Castellanos or Schwarber in their full contract just to offset some of the money yeah. and give the Angels like a major league piece um and, you know and the fact that you know that's where Trout would probably play is right it's an outfield and and mm-hmm. obviously help the defense over those guys too exactly so you know I as much as I would 
you know, as much as I would want to see, you know, an outfield of Schwarber, Trout, Castellanos at the plate, that's a, I just feel like the, the contract in the outfield, that's just too much money to where just sending one of those guys back does offset that cost a little bit. So you don't have to send a hundred million dollars, $150 million into a, I think it's like 280 that Trout's owed over the next seven years. Some of that effect is so, you know, that way, you know, some of that money can be balanced out, but yeah, I don't, I don't know whether this, you know, I don't know if the angels can pay down enough to get a Mike Trout esque package and they won't get it from Philly. Like you mentioned, this is not a, that's not a strong farm system. So, you know, I I wonder about a lot of teams, but I I don't know that any makes sense that they, that both where both the prospects, the money and Mike Trout himself are going to agree. If they trade, if they paid down like the entire contract basically which i i'd I'd be shocked if they did that because that is so much money but Mm -hmm. i mean you could open up a lot of those mid-market teams that have really good farm systems right now teams like the reds or um you know being or or the pirates or something like where if if he's cheap like money wise because the angels paid most of it like they could give up a ton for him and it might be their only chance to get this kind of superstar I could see. I mean, if yeah, they, but then, but I, I'd be, I'd be shocked if Artie Marino decides he wants to pay that entire contract down. Basically, I would be shocked if Mike Trout said he wants to go to the Pirates. Right, so. but or <laughs> probably not the Pirates, but but maybe the yeah, I, maybe I'm the like Reds. Like, even still, man, I just I can't see Trout accepting. I mean, that the, trade. there's a reason the, the Reds are an up and coming team. Is kind of what I'm saying. Like they, he could, I'm they could you. win. They could win. Like. That's the thing. Like, if Trout's priority is, I want to go somewhere I can win. He, if he goes to the Reds, there's reason to believe the Reds might end up being able to win some. Like, or the Orioles maybe is another one that, like, yeah. Um, I'm, of course, the Orioles are pretty set in the outfield right now. But like, you yeah. know, if you if you looked at the their roster, maybe that's a team that could win if you paid down most of the deal. They've got so many prospects, like that kind of thing. But, um, which that would be an interesting one because you could always. DH one of those, you know, whether it's well, you'd think Santander or he goes back to. Oh yeah, well yeah, I mean they got Santander, Hayes, and Mullins if they're all right healthy now, yep. right now. Mm-hmm. But you could maybe DH Santander and put Trout in right field or something like that would work. So, um, but I, I mean, I it, it'll be interesting to see to see what happens this off season, and that that that's one to probably revisit. I I kind of doubt it, it happens because there's so much money involved there, but that'll be interesting to look at. It's worth noting that Mike Trout has not played uh, 120 games or had 500 plate appearances since 2019. Uh, hasn't played more than 140 games since 2016. So, you know that you're you're, you're paying for high value. It's it feels similar to like a Tyler Glass now. Uh, you know, in terms of of who could be traded this off season, where you've got a guy with a lot of value when he does play, but he doesn't always play. Yeah, he feels so, like Byron Buxton a little bit at this point. Buxton's Buxton's been bad this year, but yeah. like over the past few years, mm-hmm. like super like high he, value when he does. Where it's play. like you get like four wins above replacement out of like seventy games, and then he's done, mm-hmm. like, right? So you, there's a lot of risk involved, obviously, but it's Mike Trout. You yeah, know, it's it's a little different than even Buxton or Glass now or any any of those guys. Well, yeah, right? yeah. You're getting a guaranteed surefire Hall of Famer on your team. Yeah, he's a super selling jerseys. Yeah, it's it's a it's a big deal. So the fact that that's even being mentioned is kind of above our you know belief system here. But 
it's worth thinking about. And I, yeah, I'll be shocked if he goes anywhere but Philadelphia. But you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Moving on, Steven Strasburg. We'll, we'll touch on this because it's probably still ongoing. But Steven Strasburg's retirement press conference was canceled by the team, and then they said they expected to see Steven Strasburg in spring training. So. Um, I don't know what's going on there, but it's uh, it's not looking good in terms of how Washington seems to be handling the Strasburg wants to retire. Uh, I think they don't want to pay out the whole contract. I think there's probably something to do with the you know the insurance and the something to that effect. But uh, this is going to kind of leave a wart on what has been a you know a Washington Hall of Fame level you know player and won them the World Series and then kind of fell off the planet. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what to think of this. I mean, I, I, obviously, you know, we hear this and it sounds awful. The Nationals, there might be something behind the scenes that that's going on here too. I, I kind of doubt it's something that makes me feel like the Nationals are doing the right thing. But it's, you know, there's probably something going on behind the scenes. Um, I understand the Nationals are frustrated. I think a lot of it also has to do with the fact that the Nationals are trying to sell the team right now. The the Lerner family is trying to sell mm-hmm. them, and that amount of money, dead money, is not good for getting money back when you sell. So uh, trying to get a little bit of that paid down um, is probably part of the part of the deal here, um, which you know it's unfortunate. Um, I mean, I I don't I don't like this at all though. I mean, Strasburg obviously isn't going to pitch again. Like he's been he's tried twice to come back he's had thoracic outlet syndrome he's he's got nerve damage there's he shouldn't be he shouldn't even be trying to pitch at this point like it, mm-hmm. it's, it's pointless and i don't even know like you're gonna have to pay him anyways so i mean let him sit on the 60 day il until you work something out i guess but like i, I don't you know I, it's just unfortunate that if they would you know that this can't just be finished because i really hate it but um you know, we'll see what happens. I, I I feel like it probably does end up getting resolved again where they retire him, but we'll see. Right. And I think it comes, you know, he wants to retire and I think yeah. the team wants to, you know, say, well, you, you obviously didn't, you know, uphold your end of the seven year, $240 million bargain. So yeah. we want to see, you know, some, there's got to be some, some money involved here where the, the Nationals are probably trying to get a little extra. And if they can't, yeah. they're going to wait on it. Maybe get yeah. another shot. You know, see what see if they can get anything out of this contract. So, um, moving moving from there to another injured pitcher who's been with a, a team for their entire career, Herman Marquez signed a two year, uh, ten million total dollar extension with ten million dollars in incentives um, for this year and next year with the Rockies. So Herman Marquez staying in Coors but trying to rebuild some value. Uh, he'll be, you know, recovering from Tommy John this year, or the beginning part of this next year, and, uh, you know, I think next off season he could be a really attractive trade piece if he shows out late in the season next year. Yeah, um, it's an interesting, uh, an interesting move there. Armand Marquez is a guy who at times has figured out how to pitch in course and has put up really good numbers for the Rockies a couple of years. Um, his last year was really, really bad, but a lot of it was kind of cores induced this, that last year. Like he was just had home run problems. Um, this year, uh, obviously the injury, Tommy John surgery, I think he's going to miss most of next year. 
So this is kind of one of those deals where I think they're kind of paying a little bit next year, expecting him not to pitch and maybe getting a little bit of a bargain on a, a good pitcher coming back and pitching for them year after next. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Herman Marquez is really, is really good when he's healthy and, and he's own. So, and it's hard for Colorado to find pitching. So I don't blame them for, for signing this, even though, I mean, Colorado doesn't really need to be signing players right now. They need to be figuring out a way to build a farm system. But if you're going to sign somebody, signing a fairly young pitcher that is pretty good and has pitched well for your team to a couple-year extension is, is a good thing. So, You know, Herman Marquez is one of those guys that I'll always wonder whether he's got yeah. a little more in the tank. Um you know, and he'll have to obviously come back and show that he can get to the same levels of fastball velocity where he was like a 96 mile an hour guy plus, um, you know, the last couple of years. And he's got a very, very good slider, uh, but it's a it's a downward breaking slider. And at altitude, that's not going to break as well. And he's almost just this kind of pitcher that if you saw he was pitching away from course, you were like, man, this is a, you know, this guy could be really nasty. And if you saw him at course, you're like, well, this is like any other guy. Um I I wonder if maybe a you know next off season if he shows that he's got the same velocity if he's got the same break if a team doesn't take a chance and try to finally get a trade completed for him one of the, especially one of these teams teaching a sweeper and if you could get Herman Marquez you know with that with the amount of movement he gets on that vertical slider if he can't get into the sweeper game and try to uh, you know find another way to get batters out because you know his biggest issue is that while that fastball is really you know good velocity the only pitch anybody's sitting on is that slider so you know he needs another weapon i think to be a really effective yeah. guy and it's so hard to to you know be creating pitching weapons in course field you either have you have what you have basically and you're just trying to get outs with those so you know We'll see what this what this yields, but uh, I think it's a it's a decent move for him to go ahead and get out in front of free agency and not try to, you know, just go ahead and keep rehabbing. Don't worry about trying to change locations here in the in the winter. Yeah. So let, let's throw the last one on. Rich Hill got put on waivers today. Uh, potential playoff implications, though, probably not. Uh, you know, he's been pretty pretty can, bad this year. He's kind of running on fumes, I think, be... on the career, but. Can he be in a playoff uh, no. roster? Yeah, I didn't think so. No. So, you know, the teams that are looking for, you know, putting him in the playoff race. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe can could pick him up. But, uh, yeah, Rich Hill could be on his way out, could be finally be the swan song for, for Dick Mountain. Uh, hopefully not. But uh, if the Padres aren't going to keep throwing him out there, I, I don't know if anybody's going to. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see maybe a team that's on the periphery trying to get into the playoffs, like like the Reds, who just badly need pitchers who are still alive. Maybe maybe look at him, but um, because to be honest, he's been horrible, but he might be still better than some of the guys the Reds are running out there. Right. Uh, but I, I don't I, I don't really expect anybody to pick him up. It seems just kind of like a you know the Padres have somebody else they want to get the starts right now, and that you know they don't really have room for him. So, uh, but I would, um, uh, one, one other team, that, a few other teams that could maybe look at Rich Hill or teams like the Braves, the Dodgers, some of these really, really good teams who, you know, have had number five starter concerns, uh, maybe bring him in just to help the rotation get a little bit more rest before the end of the season. I kind of doubt the Braves do because they have a, an options situation on their roster, on their active roster, but uh, the Dodgers maybe look at bringing him in to kind of limit some innings, uh, and he's been a 
you know, kind of also as a retirement tour with the Dodgers, who who he played with for a while. So I'd look out for them a little bit. But uh, but yeah, I'd I'd be surprised if he pitches anything more than just like a couple of spot starts at the end of the season for somebody. Yeah, I would. Um, I know a certain co-host of this podcast that yeah. would be rather happy that that was the case. But yeah, it really wouldn't surprise me if they did that. It makes some sense. Uh, and the Dodgers have been very good at reclaiming players this year. They've they've done a marvelous job at getting production out of a bunch of those guys so um you know with that let you know speaking of the dodgers let's jump into the standings and do a quick little update for you uh because the the team the dodgers are chasing for the number one seed in the national league and i think are going to lose that race the atlanta braves did clinch a playoff spot this week they will be playing in october they have won 94 games they are winning again tonight uh, they have a 200 plus 238 run differential. The Atlanta Braves are the best team in baseball. It's not really close at this point, and uh, we know you're happy about that. Yes, I am. And uh, they did clinch the playoff spot. Right. They can clinch the. They're playing the Phillies, who are in second place. So the magic number is four uh, before tonight's game ends, which the Braves are up six to one right now. So you never know what happens in that ballpark. And the Phillies are pretty good. So, you know, the game's not over by any means. But if they win tonight, they could potentially clinch the division tomorrow. Uh, but, yeah, 94 wins for the Braves. Um, and it's been a really fun season for them. I, I've, I've enjoyed watching them. And it just seems like every night something really cool happens for them, too. Uh, they have a 20 game lead on the Marlins who are four games over 500. That's wild. Wild. So yeah, we've got them in, uh, we've got the Milwaukee Brewers have a three game lead over the Chicago Cubs in the NL central. It's a seven game lead over the Reds. So it's really Brewers versus Cubs at this point, uh, for that NL central. And remember the last three games of the season between those two teams are against each other, I believe at Milwaukee. So. You know, we obviously the race is, yeah, that's going to be an interesting finish to the year. And that's coming directly after the Cubs have a series of the Braves. So uh, either the Braves will be done, right? And and maybe resting guys for the playoffs or I, the Braves and they're just going to play everybody. And I was going to say, <laughs> I think that might end up being the series that that week before the season ends that the Braves give their big playoff rotation guys their last starts. So they get an extra couple days of rest. Yeah, so we'll we'll see how that one goes. We'll have to keep an eye on that race as it because that one is still close. Then you've got the Dodgers, twelve games up over the Diamondbacks in the NL West, and thirteen and a half up over the Giants. I would go ahead and put a, a fork in it. Dodgers are going to win the NL West. A quick look at the wild card standings for the National League. Phillies are the first team in the wild card right now. Uh, they are a game and a half above the Cubs as the second team. Uh, with 78 wins, Arizona Diamondbacks are currently sitting in that third spot with 76 wins. Giants and Marlins are tied at a game and a half back with 74 wins. Reds have an extra loss in the bank there, two full games back with 74 wins. Six teams fighting for three spots. Kind of feels like four teams fighting for one spot a little bit, but if the Phillies or the Cubs go on a big slide, um, I they could certainly fall out. There's a whole lot going on right now. Yeah, I, I think the Phillies and the Cubs are fairly safe right now. I think they'll probably be the four and five seed, um, unless one of these other teams gets really, really hot and, and bumps one of them to the six seed. Um, but I think they're pretty safe to make the playoffs at, at this point, right? Right now, um, I know the Cubs have what a, a three and a half game advantage on the uh, 
you know, over the, you know, in, in yeah. the wild card. So I, mm-hmm. I, and they have a really easy schedule remaining. And the Phillies are a game, are a game and a half above the Cubs. So um, I think that that'll end up being the two of the teams. But the other ones, it's, it's a real interesting race. Uh, the Diamondbacks have been playing pretty good again lately and have kind of stabilized things. They are losing right now tonight to the Mets, but with the way the Mets are, the pod, the Diamondbacks probably come back and win. Um, and uh, the Marlins have been really hot in September, surprisingly, and they have a shot to maybe um, to maybe be the um, to maybe win um, to maybe make it in somehow. And uh, yeah. one little note on the Marlins is they play the Braves this weekend. And it could be a hangover lineup for the Braves after clinching. So that could, yeah. um, of course, the Braves have an off day on Thursday, so they might just use that as their hangover day if they can win tonight and tomorrow. But um, the that'll be interesting to look at. Um, and I, I kind of feel like the Giants are probably sliding out of the picture right now, but you never know. There's still eight, you know, somewhere between like 15 and 20 games for every team remaining. So you never know what might happen in these last few weeks. No, th- this is coming down to crunch time. So uh, let's jump into the AL. Uh, Baltimore Orioles are still leading the AL East uh, over th- by three games over the Tampa Bay Rays, 11 and a half over the Toronto Blue Jays. Those two have really pulled out there. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very shocked by the way the Orioles have played. They have won a lot of games, uh, 91 wins for the Baltimore Orioles. And we're early in September still. Uh, Minnesota Twins have a seven and a half game lead over Cleveland in the AL Central. And then the AL West, which has undergone some transformations over the last couple of weeks since we last talked about them. Uh, the Mariners took the lead for a little bit, but Houston has gotten back out in front. Uh, they are two games up over the Rangers, two and a half up over the Mariners. To clarify the wild card picture, the Rays are the number one wild card team right now. They would be pretty much locked for that if they don't catch the Orioles. And if the Orioles, uh, if they do catch the Orioles, Orioles would be the number one wild card team in the AL. Number two right now is Toronto by a half game over Texas. Texas is a half game up over Seattle. So that's a three team fighting for two spots. Boston six and a half out. They're probably not going to make it into the wild card at this point. It's really a battle between Toronto, Texas, and Seattle, and then also Houston. Um, if if Houston can maybe if if one of those Texas or Seattle can beat Houston for the AL Central or the AL West, then that would lead uh, Houston into the wild card and and leave one of them out. But somebody's missing the playoffs out of those three teams, and that's that's pretty crazy because those are three really good teams. Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely crazy uh, finish here in the American League. I think that um, I trust the Rangers and Mariners a lot more than the Blue Jays right now, but I wouldn't count out the Blue Jays. They have good pitching. Um, I just don't have a good vibe with the Blue Jays at at all, and I know they've been playing pretty well lately, uh, but I think the Rangers have just the upside. I think Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon are going to carry the Rangers over the last few weeks. I really think that they're going to end up making it in. Uh, the Mariners are, have been so hot in the second half, but there's last 10 games. They've gone three and seven. They've kind of fallen back off, and I don't really trust their offense. They were hot for a while, but, you know, they, they – I don't – I just don't – I've never trusted their offense uh, all year. So I think the teams that are currently in are the teams you're probably going to see. I could see the Mariners passing the Blue Jays because I don't really trust either one of them. But, um, you know, I think the AL East race is going to be really interesting. I don't know if the Orioles play the Rays very much uh, the rest of the year, but, you know, that could only take one. 
Could only be one series between those two teams that flips things. <laughs> There's a four-game set between them this weekend. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, so the Orioles-Rays this weekend probably determines, well, at least whether the Rays have a shot. Um, if the Orioles go out in there and win three out of four, it's over. But right. um, it'll be interesting. And that, that's a big deal, the Orioles-Rays, because I think that, I think that the Orioles have a little bit of an advantage in a in a five or seven game series compared to a three game series because the pitching. I think the Orioles have three or four number three starters, mm-hmm. whereas like if they're going up against an ace, they're gonna and, and the number two, they're probably not not great, but they do have a little bit of depth and their bullpen is pretty good. So um i think that maybe in a longer series they they might be a little bit better suited for than a than a short series so that could be a big deal whether or not they get that by because whoever loses kind of like the nl east was last year whoever loses that that uh division is going to have like upwards of 95 wins and is going to have to play a three-game series against the against either the rangers or the Astros, or the Mariners, or the mm-hmm. I guess the Blue Jays. I guess all of them are kind of alive for that. But like it's your play. You got a really good team to play, and you beat that you've beaten by like eight and a half games this year. Yeah, uh, that is that's a that's recipe for disaster. Yeah. Winning the division is so important. Um, it's important for pretty much any any team other than the Twins who are locked in. Yeah, third. They're going to play the sixth seed. It just yeah. is what it is. Um, so with that. Let's move to injuries before we move to call-ups. We'll do injuries first. The first uh, bit of news, we'll start with the Dodgers, kind of go back to them. Uh, Walker Bueller out for the season. Uh, They, you know, we talked about him potentially coming back, potentially getting those starts, uh, you know, maybe coming out of the bullpen. He is not going to come back this season. They have gone ahead and ruled him out. He's just not progressing like they want him to. And uh, on top of that, Clayton Kershaw still dealing with some soreness. I think it's his back uh, that's still bothering him over uh, after being on the IL for a lot of this year. He's trying to pitch through it. It doesn't seem like a really great way to handle that, but, you know, the Dodgers don't have that many options. This is a team kind of thin on pitching. On top of that, Mookie Betts left a game this week in a walking boot, uh, fell the ball off his foot, got x-rays negative. He's since homered. He's He's okay, but... Um, the Dodgers dealing with a lot of injuries right now. Yeah, I mean the the rotation for the Dodgers has been a is, is going to be a problem. Uh, you know, with Julio Urias on the administrative leave list after his domestic violence arrest and out for the year. You know, they were kind of hoping that Bueller would come back, uh, but that's not going to happen. Which is which is really the wise decision for his future. I mean. You don't want to rush back from Tommy John surgery, not 100% ready to go, and try to figure out a way to pitch in the postseason. It, it's just, you know, that'd be that's a tough thing to do. So I think that, um, you know, especially coming off your second Tommy John surgery, which which is what he'll be coming off of, um, you know, I think that that's probably the wise decision. Even though it, it does suck for him, like I know he won't, probably wants to pitch in the postseason. It's just. Probably not the best thing. And then uh, the Kershaw thing is difficult for me. They're trying to have him pitch through it, but he's been really bad lately. And his velocity's way down. His command's not there. Like, it is quite obvious that after watching him earlier in the season when he was healthy, how good he still is, it is quite obvious this this injury is affecting him pretty heavily. So, I mean, I, I would sit it. I wouldn't pitch him for – I'd give. I'd put him on the 10-day IL if I were them and let him 
sit for 10 days, come back and make a start before the postseason to kind of get back in a rhythm. And then hopefully, hopefully he might be a little bit fresher because right now it is – the way he's pitching right now is not going to work. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But, uh, you know, with those three guys out, I mean, what? Are, who are we looking at? Is there? I mean, Gonsolin's been out for the like. Gonsolin's Bobby Miller's gone. their best pitcher. Yeah. I mean, he's their best guy, and then they're gonna have to give like Lance Le- Lynn. <laughs> Lance Lynn has been horrible. So. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, it's gonna be. I mean, Bobby Miller's been really good. You never know how a how a rookie is gonna you know respond in the postseason, but he's been really good. So I think Bobby Miller is is probably someone they trust. But beyond it, like Lance Lynn is probably starting game two of a postseason series at this point, unless Kershaw. I mean, I, Kershaw probably will Kershaw? be, but well, Kershaw <laughs> Kershaw probably will be starting it, but he he's not healthy. So, I mean, it's going to be un- Kershaw injured Kershaw, Lancelin, and Bobby Miller, who's a rookie. But I, and I think Bobby Miller is the best out of the three right now. And then who knows what their other spot would be? It'd be like I guess Emmett Sheehan or Gavin Stone or somebody like. Yeah. I, I mean, they their rotation is a is a mess. I know they have a great offense with Betts and Freeman. Uh, Betts came back I think last night and homered so I think he's all right they'll probably rest him a little bit more as the season finishes out uh but I mean uh, you know it'll be interesting to see what happens in this you know with that rotation coming down the stretch and, and in the postseason well I'm gonna mix it in anyway the, the they also called up Kyle Hurt who's gonna yeah. be a reliever um but he's got really really nasty stuff one of those kind of Dodgers pitching lab guys Kyle Hurt so uh, I do wonder if the Dodgers might think about maybe you know trying to keep bringing guys up, right? I mean, this is going to be their recipe to to get some pitching is to to bring guys up. Maybe Nick Frasso comes up, uh, but ultimately it does look really bad that they ended up not getting Eduardo Rodriguez. That was pretty clearly their goal. Yeah. Um, you know, going into the trade deadline and obviously that getting nixed by Eduardo Rodriguez himself really hurts the Dodgers. Yeah, it really does. Let's uh let's cut forward the wool. The Braves did uh, have Colin McHugh and Mike Soroka on the IL. I don't think it's going to matter much, but the no. Braves do. You know, I think Kyle Wright's still on the IL too, if he, I'm not he, mistaken. He came back last night. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. He did also not Kyle Wright. Well, back. but it was his first start back, so who knows? But yeah, if if the Braves can get Kyle Wright going, right, Charlie Morton will, will make some postseason starts. Max Fried's looking really really good right now. I I think the Braves are going to be fine, having not really gotten the full Soroka experience back and you know, maybe they can get him healthy this offseason. Yeah, I, I don't know. So the thing about Soroka is that, that that sucks is that they lost the year of control uh, with that move and he's out of options. So they can't send him back to the minor leagues um, since he's on the IL and there's a pretty good chance he gets non-tendered this offseason because of that. And uh, McHugh just hasn't been good at all all year. I think this is honestly kind of a phantom DIL stint for him. But um, unfortunate. But, uh, you know, I, you hate to see it for Soroka. Absolutely. With Let's jump to the Miami Marlins, stay in the NL East. Jorge Soler to the IL, Sandy Alcantara to the IL. In spite of this, the Marlins have won a bunch of games. But, uh, yeah, two of their best players – out probably for the rest of the season. It's it is the ten day IL, but I think if either one of them comes back, I'll be surprised. Um, I have to double check what they're they're looking at. But yeah, I think Alcantara is pretty much done. I, I think yeah. he got. I think he has like a flexor tendon strain or something. Oh, that's that's right. Um, yeah. And but Solaire, I, I don't even know what his injury is. So I am I am trying um, to double check. 
but that's that's a big deal for them because I mean they really don't have a lot of power in their lineup. Uh, luckily oblique. for them, they, oblique. Yeah, that's really yeah. not good. So um, you know they they don't have a lot of power in their lineup. They, you know they brought in uh, Jake Berger at the deadline. Luckily that that has added some power, but you know Solaire is their power guy. So um, you know that's unfortunate for them and really hurts their chances but you never know i mean all you have to do is play a good baseball for two weeks and you sneak in so um maybe they maybe they still make it in but it's going to make it a lot tougher it is it it puts them on the back burner Uh, another playoff team deal or potential playoff team dealing with injury jose siri out with a broken hand for the tampa bay rays he's been their center fielder all year i want to double check before i misquote but I want to say Jose Siri's been very, very good. Yeah, he has for the Rays. Um, um he's got load, a, twenty-five yeah. home runs, yeah. twelve stolen bases, one hundred and five WRC plus. He's been an elite center fielder uh, defensively yep. too. He's put up almost three WAR. He's been an impact player for them this year, so that's a big deal for them to lose him. But the thing about the Rays is that they do have a lot of depth and. Um, you know, I th- it's not like losing. If they lost Yandy Diaz or Isaac Paredes or Brandon Lau or somebody, or maybe one, of, maybe another pitcher, it probably would be a bigger deal. But that still really hurts the Rays to lose Jose Siri because he's been solid this year. It's worth noting he's got a 36% strikeout rate and 5% yeah. walk rate. This is a explosive type of player, it's... right? A guy swinging for the fences all the time. You know, everything else yeah. be damned. He seems to be similar to Adolis Garcia when he first kind of broke yeah. onto the scene. Yeah, he might be even like more athletic than Garcia was. Garcia has probably, been able to probably stick faster. In center. Yeah. So, uh, you know, with that, another playoff team dealing with issues. The Chicago Cubs have put Albert Alzali, their closer, and Jaimer Candelario, uh, their trade acquisition third baseman, on the IL. Uh, Alzali is a forearm and Candelario is back strain. Um, hopefully both can get back before the playoffs start, but uh, a tough break. Cubs yesterday used Michael Fulmer to close the game against the Rockies. Uh, it was it was exactly yikes, um, but they did win. I I think Julian Merriweather is going to step into the closers role for the Cubs. He pitched three days in a row before that, which is why he didn't pitch yesterday. Um, but Julian Merriweather's been absolutely incredible. Albert Alzali had been incredible too all season. He blew two saves two weeks ago. They finally IL'd him because I think his forearm had started not feeling right then. Um, so, and Pico Armstrong just made an incredible catch on the track. My goodness, he's been yeah. playing for an inning. Uh, <laughs> and the yeah, so the, the Cubs bullpen situation is going to be, I think pretty nerve-wracking for Cubs fans going down the stretch. Losing your closer is never good, um, but Julian Merriweather's going to be able to anchor it. He's been a huge reclamation signing for the Cubs. Got DFA'd by the Blue Jays, uh, but he's a guy who throws 100 miles an hour with a, a hammer slider, and, you know, he's he's really effective. He doesn't walk a whole lot of guys. You know, I, I think that's a guy that a lot of teams missed on, and I was really excited when the Cubs picked him up, and he's been really, really good. They've been able to, to work with him and get the good player that kind of always seemed to be in there out of him. So, you know, Alzali being down, not great, but I think there will be some some ability for the Cubs to overcome that. Candelario is a little less easy to overcome, but I'll, I'll tell you the weird thing that's been happening is that Nick Madrigal's been playing really good third-base <laughs> defense for the Cubs. Like, as good as Manny Machado in half the innings defense at third base it is crazy 
So, uh, yeah, they're going to just put Magical there, I guess. Um, you know, he's he's not hitting well, but dang it, he can play some third base, apparently. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. With Alzale, that's a big loss for the Cubs. And I don't know mm-hmm. about, like, when there's a forearm strain, you don't, you know, you don't mess with that. So right. um, I don't know what, what his timetable will look like. And, you know, Candelaria, with it being a back thing, hopefully – Hopefully he's able to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, you mentioned Nick Madrigal's defense. I saw an article about that sometime earlier in the season where he was basically like the way that he was making up for the fact that he has a noodle arm is that he basically every time he gets the ball just sprints toward first base and to make the throw, like which is kind of funny, but it's worked for him. So um, definitely uh, definitely worked for him. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, those, those are pretty big deal for the Cubs. The Cubs pitching is – Outside of Justin Steele, there's some big time question marks in, with their pitching right now, and luckily for them, they they've got a pretty easy schedule the rest of the way. Um, but they they might be able to that they'll probably still be fine. But uh, that that it's going to be tough in the postseason with, for that pitching to hold up. Yeah the 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 big the good news for the Cubs is that Jordan Wicks has come up and been very very good, um, and the Cubs have a lot of guys who get ground balls. Uh, Kyle Hendricks, Wicks has done exactly that. Javier Assad's done that. They they just pitched the strengths of this team, which is that middle infield defense with Dansby yeah. Swanson and Nico Horner, uh, and it's working. So, you know, as long as these guys can keep you know generating those ground balls, keep generating soft contact, I think they'll be all right. It, you can't really rely on that in the playoffs, though. You need swing and miss, and the Cubs don't have that, so they'll just have to see what happens. But, you know, that'll be, a, I think, an, an area to add this season, this offseason for the Cubs will be uh, swing and miss pitchers. Moving to some other big names that, that went down, uh, Jason Dominguez tore his UCL. He had hit four home runs in like 10 games with the Yankees. Uh, you know, we had discussed him coming up already, torn UCL. He'll be down till at least halfway through next year. Uh, really good debut for Jason Dominguez, but now he's got to, you know, get Tommy John surgery. Yeah, that really sucks for him. Um, I um, he had done really well since coming up. Uh, had a 161 WRC plus. Of course, the four home runs in eight games plays a part of that. He w- that's kind of an unsustainable clip, but um, you know he had been holding his own with his plate discipline. His walk rate was pretty low compared to his minor league numbers, but he was he wasn't striking out an absolute ton in his first 33 plate appearances. So it was it sucked to see him get hurt. Um, you know, the big thing with this is obviously with him not being a pitcher, um, you know, it's not quite as big of a deal with the Tommy John surgery, but the, you know, the, the timetable on getting him back next year, and then how well he's able to play in the outfield with his arm is probably a pretty big deal um, You know, going forward. This is a guy who you're looking at probably being a corner outfielder in the future. And if he, if his arm, you know, isn't as good, then that could really affect his defensive value in the future. So we'll see what happens there. But, um, you know, we'll look forward to seeing him, you know, again next year, late, later in the season. And obviously, you know, we've seen that torn UCL doesn't really affect uh, hitters that much at the plate. So, you know, we've seen it with Bryce Harper this year coming back. We saw it with Otani when he hit that season with a torn UCL and probably will. And it's, he already has been some this year before the oblique issue and uh you know and then he'll probably do the same next year as hit with after having a at least a some kind of elbow procedure they haven't announced for sure yet if it's going to be tommy john but um 
but yeah, we'll see what happens with Dominguez. It's definitely a promising start for him, though. And uh, yep. maybe maybe next year he'll be able to build off of it. Yep. Final final bit of injuries here. Andrew McCutcheon down for the rest of the season. Uh, something in his foot. Uh, broken bone in his foot, I believe. And then O'Neill Cruz is not coming back for the Pirates. So a couple of big losses there, though. That is a team that has kind of long fallen out of the race despite having a good start. Uh, but hopefully that's not it for McCutcheon. And uh, he goes into this offseason and ends up with a free agent deal somewhere because – He's a great dude to have, and he had a really good season in Pittsburgh. Yeah, um, yeah I think McCutcheon will probably play again next year, if I had to guess. Um, and uh, I think he likes playing back in Pittsburgh, and he had, like you said, he had a good year, and uh, he'll help them. And you never know with Pittsburgh; they could start to figure it out again. You know, they're they've got some young talent, um, and they've still got pretty good farm system players. I don't think they have the upside of their farm system that like the Orioles have had. Or, or the Reds have now, or some of those types of teams, but they've still, you know, they've still got some pretty good prospects down there, and uh, we'll see if they actually supplement it with enough at the big league level with, you know, trades, free agency, that kind of thing to, to actually be good, but, you know, it'd be fun to see Andrew McCutcheon play for a decent Pirates team again, mm-hmm. and uh, it sucks to see O'Neill Cruz, you know, anytime he's not on the field is a bummer because he's so fascinating as a player. But um, it's probably the smart decision. He hasn't played basically all year, um, and you know he's a young guy. You probably don't want to bring him back in just to you know play for a week and not really you know be in a rhythm and stuff. You probably just want him to kind of hit the reset button and get started next year, get ready for next year. Yep. So um, I don't blame him for that one, even if he is healthy. I don't know if he's going to be healthy enough to come back and play, uh, but even if he is, I, I think it's probably wise just to wait till next year. Yep. I think you're right. Let's jump to the, the last two call-ups that we have before we do Players of the Week and send you guys off. Uh, number one, we'll start with Jordan Lawler, called up by the Diamondbacks. He has not been good so far. He has uh, struggled at striking out in 50% of his plate appearances, but the Diamondbacks were uh, in need of a shortstop. They non-tendered Nick Ahmed, uh, looking for a bit of a spark there from Lawler. He got a hit in his first game, but hasn't done much since. Yeah, um, of course, it's eight games. So, you know, with Jordan Lawler, you just don't know for sure, you know, what's going on. If It might just be a small sample size. There might be some real issues there. I know that a lot of prospect evaluators have been a little bit lower on him at the plate uh, with his hit tool. So the 50% strikeout rate in his first 30-ish plate appearances is definitely not, um, you know, it's definitely not a great sign. But, um you know, I don't think that that was necessarily a big problem in the minor leagues, but I think there's some thoughts that his swing might end up being one of those that doesn't translate fantastic. Uh, but with his, you know, his versatility as a player and, and all the things he can do, I think he'll, he'll end up being a good big leaguer. And um, so that one's one that, you know, you, you would hope that he is able to, um, I hope that he's able to kind of figure it out and, and help them. I mean, they need the help. They, they're right in the thick of the race, as we were talking about earlier, so... Yeah, Nick Ahmed, very emotional. He spent his whole career in Arizona and to kind of get unceremoniously kicked right as the season's winding down for yeah. him. Definitely doesn't feel good on his end, but I think I think he'll latch on as a bench player. He's a good glove at shortstop. Yeah. So the last call-up we have was Pete Crow Armstrong. I mentioned it already because he, he ran down a ball that was hit 107 off the bat in Coors Field at the wall. Uh, Pete Crow Armstrong's an 80-grade defender, man. It's, it's going to be... Really fun watching him play out there. Um, you know, he tried to steal a base last night, wound up getting t- thrown out. 
laid down a sack bunt. He's going to get his first plate appearance here in a little bit. I think it's uh, a great move for the Cubs, and I really think they need to be playing him as much as humanly possible because that's a dude that could really change your fortunes up the middle if you're playing, you know, another really good defender in the outfield, you know, to kind of pair with Dansby Swanson and Nico Horner. It's just having that middle infield defense so valuable. I think he could be really impactful as a, you know, as a fielder specifically, even if he doesn't hit anything that, that could be huge. Yeah, for sure. That that defense for him is going to be his calling card. I think he's got some upside at the plate too. Um, but the defense is insane for him. And he could be one of those guys that ends up being like an all-star caliber player, even if he has like a league average stat line at the plate. So yep. um, he's going to be really good. He could, he could, and he's got more upside than that, but he could be Kevin Kiermeyer where he's mm-hmm. just kind of an average hitter, but so, so good defensively. He could be like a four or five win player. He's that well, good. What always, what, what always is going to worry me until we get to see him, you know, a lot is, you know, is this a guy like Christian Pache who yeah. has some some big swing holes that just can't be fixed, right? Or Victor Robles, you know, those are the types of guys who've come up who've had this similar profile that, you know, just end up not being the level of player we were really hoping them to be. I think Peter Armstrong has more power than those guys, and I think that can carry him along. Similar to a Jose Siri, right? Even if he hits 220, as long as you're hitting 25 home runs, you're fine. So. Uh, you know, playing that kind of defense. So I, I, I think we, we're going to see somebody special here in, in Chicago. With that, Matt, who's your player of the week? So, so we uh, can stop talking about the Cubs for a second. Yeah, well, we're going to talk. <laughs> I, I, I hate to say it, but we're going to talk about the Braves again. Uh, oh, no. Because, yeah. But, uh, it, it, and, and I don't, you know, obviously I don't want to talk about the Braves every single time, but. I mean, Matt Olson this week. <laughs> yeah, this might he's, be the best week I've seen. He's, I mean, over the past week, he's hit 517. This is before tonight. He hit 517 with a 611 on base, a 1.207 slugging. He hit six home runs in eight games over the last over the past week before tonight. Which he homered um, in. Which he's, he's two for three with a homer and a walk tonight. Um, he put up 1.2 war over the past week, which he only, his defensive value was almost minus one. I mean, it was all offense, a 361 WRC plus. I mean, he, this guy is like, he's crazy. And, and tonight the home run he hit tied the Braves franchise record, um, with his 51st home run of the season. So the next one will break the record. And, uh, at this point he has put up six war um on the season as and a first baseman as a first baseman he's got a 163 yeah. wrc plus i and mean not he, as a freddie freeman first baseman who's a good defender right right he's he's a very mm-hmm. meh defender at first base right if that so yeah that's matt olson is the the dude and, yeah. and and he's you know he's the kind of guy who would be an mvp favorite were ronald acuna freddie freeman and mookie betts not doing unbelievable stuff yeah. So, you know, I think he might, he's going to get votes, right? There's going to be somebody who goes, well, this guy hit 50 something home runs. He's going to be, he's got to be the MVP, right? Um, you know, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to win him the MVP, but he's certainly deserving of a case and a consideration. Yeah. Uh, takes me back to the all-star break when I gave him best hitter. Uh, so, so that was there good. Go. 
The guy I'm going to choose for player of the week was a guy who had five home runs in the last week, including a game tying home run last night that wound up not being enough for the Seattle Mariners. That was Julio Rodriguez. We've talked about it a, a number of times. He started off really slow this season. Uh, you know, this week, Julio Rodriguez, five homers, um, eight RBIs, 344 batting average, 844 slug, you know, with good center field defense. This is a guy who, you know, we've talked about that he needs to be the superstar for Seattle to make the playoffs, to be able to go far. You know, his hot, recent hot streak has gotten him to a 30-30 season. Uh you know, with 30 homers, 36 stolen bases, he's at a 134 WRC plus. Last year, he was at 146 WRC plus. Last year, he had 5.4 wins above replacement. This year, he's at 5.9. He's going to pass six. So he's actually been better this year than he was last year when he was, you know, an MVP candidate and a really yeah. good player. And uh, Pete Armstrong just had an RBI ground uh, yeah. choice to he's... kick off his career there. Yeah, he's he's just been Julio Rodriguez has just been out of his mind since the All Star break, and he's the reason that the Mar like I, like I talked about earlier, just I don't trust the Mariners' offense. It's because Julio Rodriguez is the only guy. He, he is the Mariners' offense, with the exception of like an occasional homer from like Kyle Raleigh or or Eugenio Suarez. Like he is their offense, so he has he has had mm -hmm. to hit at this clip for this much of much of the season for them to be in the race and. The fact that he's done that after struggling for the first month or so has been unbelievable. So that's a, definitely a great pick this week. You also look at his his actual slash numbers. 287 batting average this year. It was 284 last year. 342 on base this year. It was 345 last year. 504 slug this year. It was 509 last year. He's the same player, um, yep. which is crazy. But he's also driven in a lot more runs. He's been more of a middle-of-the-order type of producer. Uh, he's going to get to 100 RBI. He's probably going to get to 100 runs. He might get to 40 steals, right? Like, this is a, a very, very productive five-tool player, a superstar in Seattle. Good for them to have another one. It's been a while since they've had a superstar center fielder, but they had one a, a few years ago. I don't know if you remember that guy. Yeah. Ken Griffey Jr. That was yeah. The, the one I was going for. Ichiro played oh, yeah. right field. Um, with yeah. that, I think I think we're good. I think that's, that's just about it. I got one other note. And it's a note that... uh. I don't think very many people expected to hear this year. The A's are not the worst team in baseball. Oh my goodness. Are they you serious? They have won six of their past 10. They have passed the Kansas City Royals in the standings. Wow. By a game and a half. I can't believe that. I can't believe the Royals are that bad with Bobby Witt being as good as he has, man. Yep. yep. It's just crazy. They're pretty bad. And, and Cole Reagans. And I believe that the A's are beating the Astros by three runs right now, which probably won't last because the A's pitching is so bad. But the last I saw it was a three-run game, and it is a still a three-run game, four to one. So, Dang. Um, pretty wild. Well, what a what an end to this was the A's coming <laughs> out of last place. They're on the rise. Yep. Next year, World Series winners, Oakland A's. Fly the banner in Vegas. <laughs> With that, this has been the Batflip Podcast. I'm David. That was Matt. We will see you guys next week with Damien back. Have a good week.